0: Success rarely comes to the overworked, underfunded, dedicated activists who battle against radioactive nuclear contamination in all its many forms. So when we experience a big win, that's a reason for big celebration, right? But then you talk to someone who took the lead on a major issue that just received a huge concession from the Environmental Protection Agency, And you congratulate her on the win, but she says... It never feels like a win because
1: the win would have been preventing anyone from being harmed. I convinced myself in the very beginning, five years ago, that we had gotten to this issue just in time. But now, five years later, and then sitting in a room with EPA and hearing that decision come down and hearing what they had to say, I'm convinced, and so is EPA, that this site has Killed people. And it's killed people into the future because of how this stuff affects DNA and is passed down from generation to generation. And so, even with the last cupful of this radioactive waste, if it's removed five years from now, it will still, in effect, continue to kill people for generations in families of members that were exposed decades ago. That's the reality
0: of nuclear. That's a real sobering thought. And when you hear something like that, you realize the forever-lasting, never-ending nature of that seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what
2: have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear Hot Seat, it's the bomb.
0: Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, we talk with Don Chapman and Karen Nickel, the founders of Just Moms STL, and we talk about this week's announcement by the Environmental Protection Agency of cleanup plans for the radioactive World War II nuclear weapons waste that has been illegally buried at the Westlake Landfill in North St. Louis and has been migrating into people's backyards, into their homes, into their bodies. We'll also have numnuts of the Week for outstanding nuclear boneheadedness and more honest nuclear information than was heard at all of last Sunday's Super Bowl or the riots that followed. All of this coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, February 6, 2018, and here is the week's nuclear news from a different perspective. The big story this week is that the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has finally announced plans for a cleanup at the Westlake Landfill in North St. Louis. The plan calls for the removal of 70%-plus of the World War II nuclear weapons waste that is illegally buried in a landfill with an adjacent landfill fire, an underground fire, encroaching upon it. We will have much more on this story during today's featured interview with Dawn Chapman and Karen Nickel of Just Moms STL. Good news. The one-reactor Oyster Creek Generating Station in New Jersey will be shut down for good in October of this year, which is more than a year ahead of schedule. This according to an announcement on Friday, February 2nd from Exelon Generation. The facility is located 63 miles from Philadelphia and 84 miles from New York City. It had been licensed to operate through 2019. Oyster Creek is a GE Mark I design boiling water reactor, the first and oldest fukushima design nuclear reactor in the world. According to Paul Gunter, director of the Reactor Oversight Project at Beyond Nuclear, there are still 29 Fukushima-style reactors operating in the United States, and he said, None of our country's Fukushima-design reactors should have operated for even one more day once we saw the catastrophic events publicly unfold worldwide at Fukushima. But just two days before Exelon's announcement, New Jersey legislators filed an amended version of a bill that would recognize the environmental and fuel diversity attributes of the state's nuclear power plants. But while Exelon is hailing Oyster Creek's early shutdown as an humanitarian step to help its employees find new work elsewhere, a close reading of the legislature's documents, reveals that a change in state water use rules would have required the construction of new cooling towers at Oyster Creek to continue operation. So they just shut it down early, rather than having to pay the added expenses. Either way, as of October, it will no longer be in operation, meaning that all we have to worry about then is how in the world we dispose of the reactor and its highly radioactive waste. That's always the elephant in the nuclear living room. Turning now to nuclear weaponry, the Trump administration's 2018 Nuclear Posture Review reveals that this administration's plan is to build up the nation's nuclear weapons arsenal and expand the circumstances for first use of nuclear weapons. The buildup includes the manufacturing of new so-called low-yield tactical nuclear warheads for sea-launched Trident D-5 missiles intended to make nuclear weapons more usable for military conflict. The plan also clears the way for the United States to resume nuclear weapons testing, if necessary, that's in quotes, in a move that would further enhance the global threat of nuclear war fighting. This new strategy opens the door to first use of nuclear weapons, which is prohibited under international law. Note that in this push to create so-called low-yield weapons, the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki were technically low-yield. And look what they did. Lots of links to articles on this one, including the highly recommended Lies, Damn Lies, and Nuclear Posture Review by David Swanson, who's the founder of WorldBeyondWar.org. With this kind of warmongering, it's no surprise that the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists moved the doomsday clock 30 seconds closer to midnight, and it's only two minutes away. Their estimation of when we will hit total destruction. Daniel Ellsberg, the man who brought us the Pentagon Papers, has written a book based on nuclear weapons planning documents that he took at the same time. It's called The Doomsday Machine, Confessions of a Nuclear War Planner. And while you should definitely read the book, a great analysis of this has been done by James Heddle of the Ecological Options Network. We will have a link to that analysis up. Meanwhile, regarding the U.S. and North Korea facing off against each other, Ellsberg said, It's crazy for either side to think of armed conflict with the other, but both sides are threatening crazy actions, and anyone who says there is no chance that will be carried out has not been following any of the events here. He added, we are in a very serious situation. And in such a serious situation, what else is there to do but... Nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, none that sound week. This is evil numbnuts. Henry Kissinger, that old, warmongering warhorse who was Secretary of State under President Richard Nixon and the mastermind behind the secret bombing of Cambodia during the Vietnam War, as well as several other massacres, has weighed in on the current political climate to declare that a nuclear first strike against North Korea is tempting. That's the word he used, tempting. Tempting? Dude, when you're watching your weight because of the clogged arteries in your heart, a fine French pastry for dessert is tempting. Spending too much money on some inessential luxury that catches your eye is tempting. But incinerating a country and its people with a nuclear first strike is something you find tempting? At what devil do you still worship? This 94-year-old icon of awfulness warns, warns, that the U.S. must now choose between preemptive military action or increasingly tighter sanctions. And we all know that sanctions are much less fun than the big bang and fireball you get from lobbying nuclear weapons on the country of Kim Jong-un. In an interview in the UK's Daily Mail, Kissinger said that the temptation to launch a preemptive strike on North Korea, quote, is strong and the argument rational. Who the hell is this man, this war criminal, to call the decision to commit nuclear war rational. The article also stated that there are fears that Kim Jong-un is plotting a major military parade on February 8, the day before South Korea holds the opening ceremony for its Winter Olympic Games. Ooh, parade, scary There could be clowns in the parade. No, wait, that's just Kissinger and the current administration he's aiding and abetting down the path to a nuclear endgame. There's so much more that could be said about this, but one major question remains. Why are we still even listening to or talking about or to Henry Kissinger as having credibility as anything other than a decrepit old man whose only joy in life seems to be in watching others die before he does. If his temptations are followed through on, we may all be signing off together. Because you just know damn well that Kim Jong-un will not face nuclear Armageddon alone. He will do his best to take the rest of us with him. And that's why Henry Kissinger, Lover of death with blood on your hands? You and your temptation to commit nuclear war are this week's... Nuclear hot
2: seat, none that's out of the week.
0: And I swear I recorded that before I heard that Trump had ordered a military parade. At least now we know why he did. And it has nothing to do with France. One last U.S. story. Late last year... Bob Alvarez published an article pointing out how the Congressional Budget Office, which set a $1.2 trillion price tag for the modernization of the U.S. nuclear weapons arsenal and productions complex, they seriously underestimated the amounts by excluding the costs for environmental restoration and waste management. This would amount to an additional $541 billion in legacy costs. Not exactly chump change. We'll link to this article on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 346. In Japan, the Environment Ministry plans to conduct a demonstration project sometime this spring to test the safety, put that in quotes, of burying waste generated by the decontamination work following the 2011 Fukushima nuclear disaster of a triple meltdown. Soil, soil waste from, from, eastern, from eastern and northeastern North areas, areas of the country, country other than Fukushima Prefecture, Kishima prefecture is of course is the most contaminated, contaminated, will be covered with uncontaminated soil at sites in villages in Ibaraki and Tochigi Prefectures, with radioactive levels around the locations being measured. To understand about the radiation dangers in Japan, including in Tokyo, listen to Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds Energy Education on Nuclear Hot Seat No. 344 from January twenty-third, 2018. It's a shocker. And two numbnuts-adjacent stories. Shipments of the compressed salted nori seaweed snacks, otherwise known as green laver, from Fukushima Prefecture restarted as of Monday, February 5th and Tokyo Electric Power Company's, TEPCO's PR Flax, are hoping to double the number of visitors to its still highly radioactive facilities by 2020, seeking to use the Olympic spotlight to clean up the region's image. TEPCO is now accepting requests for tours from groups of local residents, embassy officials, and school students, though it is yet to accept individual applications. About 10,000 tourists came last year, and TEPCO aims to double that to 20,000 by 2020. Very alliterative. When Tokyo hosts the Summer Games, according to TEPCO official Takahiro Kimoto, the inspections will help revitalize the region and reduce reputational damage. Yeah, but it does absolutely nothing to the radiation levels. We'll have this week's featured interview in just a moment, but first... Nuclear bombs, radioactive nuclear waste, leaking reactors, bank-breaking cleanups, ongoing radiation contamination. You know, when it comes to nuclear, it seems that there is no end to the stories, the insanity, the numbnutsery of it all. And let's face it, most mainstream media pays only fleeting attention when a story bobs to the top of the news cycle, like it just did in North St. Louis or when we get hit with so much ramp-up in plans, plans, for a nuclear war. But that mainstream media coverage often proves to be hit or miss, or hit and run when the news cycle shifts and they move on. That's why you and so many others turn to Nuclear Hot Seat for your nuclear news. Everything reported here is researched, verifiably sourced, and footnoted, even if it is delivered with more than a little attitude. But as the stories come flying at us thick and fast, it's important to keep up with nuclear developments with, a, with an, under, an under, understanding understand of continuity of stories and their context. And that is what Nuclear Hot Seat is here to provide, along with interviews with genuine experts on all things nuclear who do not go along with the radioactive industry's party line. In order to provide you with this information every week, we incur costs, and that's why I'm reaching out for your help. Without your support, Nuclear Hot Seat would not be able to continue following this onslaught of nuclear stories. So if you're grateful for the news, the background information and insights you get from this show, help us keep doing it. Yes, it's the D word. Asking for a donation so that we can meet our expenses. You can make it a one-time donation of any size, or set up a monthly sustaining donation. Either way, it's easy to do so. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red donate button. For those of you on a budget, and let's face it, who isn't, we've set up an easy and way for you to help us out. You can buy Nuclear Hot Seat, a monthly cup of coffee, send the show a monthly $5, the equivalent of a cup of coffee and a nice tip to a barista. Trust me. It'll be going to the show's many online expenses, not any overpriced coffee. You can make that donation easily by clicking on the big green donate button at NuclearHotSeat.com. Please, do what you can to help keep Nuclear Hot Seat going, so you can continue getting the information that shows you what's really going on in the nuclear world. Know that whatever you can do to help, I am deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. Here's this week's featured interview. As you heard, the EPA finally announced its intentions to clean up the radioactive World War II nuclear weapons waste illegally buried at the Westlake Landfill, waste that has been destroying the health and lives of men, women, children, and the unborn in North St. Louis. 70% plus cleanup pledged by Administrator Scott Pruitt, and the agency seems down with the plan but is it good enough? There's a lot of debate taking place, as those who haven't known about this story find out about it, and those who have known about it for a while freely provide their opinions as to whether the plan is enough, or it's a ripoff, or, well, you know social media, and how easy it is to criticize the little red hens who actually baked the bread. But this monumental decision by the EPA was put in motion and pushed forward and messaged and followed through on brilliantly by a group started and led by just two women, two moms, who called themselves Just Moms, as in, well, we're Just Moms. But I think that it's really short for justice. Today, we talk with Don Chapman and Karen Nickel, the two who founded the group Just Moms STL and shepherded the protest of the radioactive waste found in their neighborhood, in their backyards, even inside the houses where they and others in their community live. David and Goliath doesn't even come close. Here's our interview, recorded on Super Bowl Sunday, February 4, 2018. Don Chapman and Karen Nickel,
2: it is so good to have you with us this week on Nuclear Hop Oh, it's good to be here, Levy. <laughs> Thanks for inviting us, Levy, as always. First of all, congratulations on a battle fought long and hard to get us here. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Give us a recap from your perspective on what you were asking and what the EPA announced as the plan for the Westlake landfill. This is <laughs> Karen. I think that overall, a recap would just be finally, we have got movement, we've got a decision, a proposal out there now that we haven't seen in 10 years, and it opens the door for us now, and it actually gives us some direction.
1: And this is Dawn. I think that, you know, at our site, with Radioactive Manhattan Waste Project, approximately less than 600 feet away from an underground fire... The overall goal is to make sure that fire never hits the waste and contaminates the entire region through airborne particulates, or since it's located in the floodplain, the floodwaters never reach it. And there is just an unlimited list of things that could go wrong at this site. And by the EPA coming in and saying that they're going to remove 70% of the overall radioactivity on this site, that's a huge win that's a huge amount of the risk knocked down. Now, obviously it still leaves behind 30% of the risk, as well as people living next to the site in a small subdivision with at least one home confirmed as having Manhattan Project Waste in it. So the EPA, Scott Pruitt,
2: announced that 70% cleanup with PLUS involved in that. What does that imprecise plus imply,
1: or what are you hoping that it means? This is done. So with the cleanup plus, the plus option is the ability to go a little deeper or grab a few more of the pockets. You know, the radioactive waste in our site really kind of looks like, if you were to turn the site on its side, it looks like a leopard print pattern. It's dispersed in pockets throughout this site and not really deep you know I think overall people are freaked out thinking it's 350 feet deep really the deepest of this waste is about 60 so you're looking at the average depth of only about 12 to 16 feet and I think what's important about that is the plus means that they're going to go down 16 feet but if they're down at 16 feet and they find a little pocket below that that's really hot, well, it's kind of like a Moe's skin cancer scrape, you know, they may decide to go down another foot since they're already there and get that too, you know, cause why leave it? Why not go that extra foot down and grab that little pocket and bring it? So that's kind of the discussions that we're having. And really what it means is at a lot of other sites, You'll have a decision that might say full removal, but then as the months go by and as the tests start going, they'll say, well, there's a little spot here with 5% that we can't get, or there's another spot here with 7%. So what starts out as 100% ends up going back down to about 80% or usually right around 75%. In our case, it's a pretty straightforward, transparent way of saying it in that we know we're going to get a minimum of this amount but we're going to try and work up to some more.
2: How has this plan, this 70-plus percent cleanup, been received
0: by By people on the Facebook page of Just Moms STL and more generally in the greater
2: St. Louis area, say, through the media or through direct interactions that you've had? Initially, the response and the feeling that we're getting overall is you know people want a decision on this waste and what's going to happen with it and if you throw out numbers like 70 percent or whatnot you know most people have not read these documents they don't really understand what that means but what they are receptive to is the fact that EPA has come in and has proposed this remedy and what it's doing is it's opening up the conversation and people are talking about this. And when people start talking about this, the problem is recognized a little bit more. And what this has done is EPA has now come out and said that this waste needs to be removed. And that is validation that those of us with Just Moms and other people and organizations that have been calling for removal of this waste is an indication that we were right and that it does need to be removed it does pose a risk to this community you have the validation and people are starting to come forward I do believe that you know most people want to know the bottom line they want to know what's going to happen we're still fighting for relocation it's our belief that there should not be a shovel funk in the ground until those living closest to this landfill have had a viable option to relocate if that's what they I think overall it's been well-received, and I also think because we are a strong community and we have taken so much time to educate these people in this community that they understand that this was a huge victory, that this was an open-door moment, and that we now pretty much have a seat at the table. Is there a timeline that has been
1: given for when this is supposed to start? Reedy, this is Don, and I think that is probably one of the most important questions because so now that we've had a proposed decision, it's a new day here, and we are wrapped up in, quite frankly, a legal battle, if you will, because now there is a 45-day public comment that starts on Tuesday. And the problem is, is that depending on what participation looks like, depending on many other issues that can come up, these all affect the timeline. And then from the public participation comes the overall signing of what's called a record of decision. That is the legal document that Administrator Pruitt will have to sign saying, okay, on your markets that go. And then from them comes the planning. It's called the implementation phase where basically they start prepping the site and preparing to actually do the record of decision. So we have, (laughs) the battle is far from over. If anything, as hard as it's been the past five years, here's where it gets twice, three times as hard because at any of these steps, there are things that can be thrown out by the responsible parties or change that could set this back. What are some of those things that could set you back? You know, if more people want to comment, then that period is extended. Depending on some of the feedback they get, they may decide to add things in the plan that make people, like for instance, maybe they want to do this work under a covered structure, you know, with zero pressure, those types of things. But either way, It's a very formal process now. Up until now, we've kind of been flying in the wind, if you will, you know, waiting on EPA, waiting on anybody to come back whenever they darn well felt like it for, you know, responses and for meeting dates. Now that we're in this formal period, it's okay, you have 45 days for public comments and we're going to host two meetings as EPA in those. So, For everybody at the site, they're being told that basically a year and a half until a shovel is sunk in the site that begins to remove the waste. However, in six months, they could start seeing prep work being done at the site. So, you know, I think these people are anxious to be able to look up at the site and see changes and see that this is happening, and at least for a little while, the only thing they're going to see is movement within the CERCLA Superfund legal process, if that makes any sense. Well, bureaucracy rarely
2: makes sense to me, but I'll go (laughs) along with the fact that they have their way of doing things. During this 45-day, or perhaps longer, but let's say 45 days for now, public comment period, who is allowed to comment on this? Do they have to live? In North St. Louis, in proximity, can it be anywhere in the country? Can it be anywhere in the world?
1: Anywhere, anywhere in the world. And that, really, though some of the comments may be more geared towards those who live closest for, versus those that live out of state or whatnot. What we're telling people is, you know, most people know at least one out of state relative. It's not more, and. This is a pretty intense thing to be going through here. You know, it is appropriate and definitely would help if relatives and friends from out of state would also write a comment and say, hey, you know, I have a friend living here or, hey, I have a cousin or, hey, I live downstream of the Mississippi River from this site and I really don't want to be drinking this crud. You know, those are the kind of things <laughs> that absolutely matter and that we need right now and especially. As you mentioned earlier, because we're 70 plus, 70 percent plus on the cleanup, it would help us get more of that plus if we could have all sorts of different people commenting.
2: What is the danger or the likelihood of Republic Services, the owner of Westlake Landfill, pushing back through their own consolidated comment period of, well, you don't need to do so much or we really aren't responsible for this or whatever else it is that they might say to try and get them off the financial hook. This is Karen. I think that, of course, anytime you have this type of situation where potentially responsible parties are liable for a cleanup or any kind of work that involves money, I think you're always going to have to push back no matter what it is. However, at the same time, I think that this is doable. And as much as it'll be a huge fight, if they put up a big fight, the battle's going to be really tough. But again, we have a strong community. If they come back and they want to fight this issue, I think we've proven that we can fight the big dogs too. So if there is pushback from the PRPs, potentially responsible parties, then it's going to be what it's going to be. But I can also tell you that In the meeting that Dawn and I were in with Albert Kelly, head of Superfund Task Force in the EPA team, made it clear that they are not afraid. And they will do and take any legal actions that they have to do against these PRPs. And I think you've seen this in San Jacinto where Administrator Pruitt just signed a removal for the waste pits down there. And the opposition was dragged into federal court and was proven that they were paying people to lie and fight against people. So if I were Republic and you've got this movie, this HBO movie coming out Atomic Homefront, I don't think I would fight. I, I think I would just do what I'm supposed to do. But again, I, I don't think anybody can tell you whether or not that's going to happen. We have heard there was a statement on our local news that they had reached out to the landfill owner and their statement was they were happy to see that the EPA had come to a decision and made an announcement on a proposed plan and that their intentions were to follow the circle of law and there would be no pushback. Now, again, we don't know if that's true or not. We're not afraid and we're prepared and we're ready.
1: And this is done. I think that within the circle of law, There are legal mechanisms that the EPA and that Administrator Scott Pruitt certainly have to where they can, one of them is a unilateral decision where they can go in and do the work and then they they as EPA turn around and sue the responsible parties for the funding. And that was brought up in the meeting that Karen referenced with EPA head of Superfund Task Force Albert Kelly and the other group. And, I mean, there were four representatives of federally elected officials in that meeting with us. They all heard the same thing. It doesn't sound as though EPA is too worried. And, in fact, one of the points of validation that EPA made is one of their engineers stepped up to answer that legal question, and he said, that's right. He said, and he said, we are confident that we have what it takes to go in front of a federal judge and convince them that this decision needs to be enacted immediately. So again, that was a very powerful statement of validation that they feel like at least 70%, if not more, of this radioactive waste has to leave our community. Going back to all the, I don't know, the propaganda And a lot of what the pushback that we've had to deal with that is paid by the corporate responsible parties, you know, when people heard that, I think it really broke their heart. I really do. I think in these situations, living around sites like these, when you get that kind of validation, it's not a, aha, see, we were right. It's a, oh, my God, we were right. And it's really hit this community very hard. It's very heartbreaking to see.
2: What kind of emotional responses have you been seeing, either in person or on the Just Moms STL page on Facebook? Overall, I think we've been seeing finally, finally, this is moving. I think, though, that with this, it has also brought out a lot more people talking about their illnesses. We're seeing it pretty much everywhere. Uh, Dawn and I can't go anywhere. I was just at a Super Bowl party tonight, and the topic of conversation was about the landfill, but what about the illnesses and people talking about I've had this or that cancer? or It's all coming out now. It's not just Coldwater Creek. It's people that live in Maryland Heights and Bridgeton near this landfill that have grown up near this landfill. And while the decision for Don and I especially was emotional. It's very emotional to know that this has the potential to have caused these things to these people. So it's sad, it's happy, it's anger, it's frustration. I know for me personally, the first day when we heard of everything and it was overwhelming and I was trying to process it and I was thankful and happy and feeling like we've accomplished something and feeling like the new fight's just begun. And the next day I was angry. I was so angry that it took five years of mine and my friend's life fighting these people to get to this point that we are today. And the point that we are today is just the beginning again. So I think people's emotions are all over the place.
1: I would second that. And I think the anger that she talked about, you know, for me to be angry and I was angry too, but it's nothing compared to Karen's because. Like her and a lot of other people, I can honestly say, at least for now, I'm not sick that I know of, but they are. They're fighting this just as hard as I am, but it takes so much more out of them. They need that extra time to take care of themselves. They need that extra time with family, and this battle sucks people who are healthy dry. So imagine what it does with people who are struggling. You know, writing letters to legislators and members of Congress about why this site needs to be cleaned up in the middle of getting a chemo treatment and in between them. It's unbelievable what this fight looks like from the inside out. When we see it on the page, when somebody's looking in and they're reading our social media on our pages, I mean, they're seeing it and they're thinking, Oh my God, these poor people. Cause like Karen said, these illnesses are just pouring out the stories But they're looking from the outside in. We're looking from the inside out. And we know these people. And we're like, God, for some of these people, it is an absolute chore to get to the grocery store. Or, you know what, in our situation, even writing press releases in advance, trying to anticipate the release of this information, we're asking somebody to write the press release and help us with that, who has suffered numerous bouts of cancer and is very young who this radioactive waste in a different location in St. Louis has absolutely devastated her life. And yet here she is having to compose herself and help us write a press release that's gonna go out. I mean, it's really insane.
2: It's an amazing battle that you've been fighting. And the concern that occurs to me is that this came down with Scott Pruitt being the head of the EPA. And I'm wondering if he moves on from that agency, either to something else within the government or leaves it entirely, does this plan remain in place? Is this a commitment of the EPA or is this a commitment of the EPA under Scott Pruitt that could change if somebody else comes in? This is Karen. I brought that question up while we were in the discussions uh, with this meeting we had. and hypothetically speaking, it's a possibility that Scott Pruitt may move to the attorney general, or we'll have a new administration come in. I mean, those things are all very possible that, yes, it could be undone. We have to get the record of decision signed. And I think, Dawn, correct me if I'm wrong, but even at that point, there is a possibility that some of these things could be undone. That being said, we're not going to live our life right now worrying about Someone else coming in and changing and undoing what has been done for Dawn and myself. It's one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time, focusing on what we have and moving towards where we're going and how we get there. It's my hope that if Scott Pruitt were to decide that he wanted to go be attorney general or anything else, that the person that they would bring in would be someone that would value those same opinions. But again, that is not something that we can look into a crystal ball and and
1: figure out. And this is done. I think what Karen said ties very strongly in with the emotions on the page in that while we take this hour by hour, I think that there's a lot of people that are recognizing for the first time that this battle is not truly over until the last shovelful is, out of the sites. And I think that one of the things that I'm the most grateful for, you know, there have been other people at other sites across the nation, for instance, the Rocky Flats Stanwender group, who have reached out on our site and have just kind of done the congratulating, but done a little uplifting and, and done a little bit of a reality check and said, Hey, we declared victory too soon when our decision came out. And everybody was off celebrating the victory and relaxing, and we didn't watch it close enough. Or we watched it, some of them watched it very close, but there was still a lot of sneaky stuff that happened. And so I think that there's this feeling that once the battle is won, everybody goes home and celebrates, and that's not the case. And even in reality, it never feels like a win, because the win would have been preventing anyone from being harmed. And we, I think at least myself in the beginning, I convinced myself in the very beginning five years ago that we had gotten to this issue just in time. But now, five years later, and then sitting in a room with EPA and hearing that decision come down and hearing what they had to say, I'm convinced, and so is EPA, that this site has killed people. And... It's killed people into the future because of how this stuff affects DNA and is passed down from generation to generation. And so, even with the last cupful of this radioactive waste, if it's removed five years from now, it will still, in effect, continue to kill people for generations in families of members that were exposed decades ago to it. And that is such an unfathomable thing, but that's the reality of nuclear. And that's the reality of what has happened at our site and other sites around the nation. And it's just a very jagged pill for people to swallow. And there's a circular grieving process that doesn't have an end to it.
2: This is Karen. I think that when you're looking at saying, yes, we need to remove this waste for the risk of long-term exposure, And what that looks like, I think that we already know what that looks like because it's already been 40 years that it has sat there and it's already been to the long term. And we are seeing those people sick from that. And while that's a great thing that from now, this day forward, we're going to remove it and and it's going to be gone and that long-term risk will end, the fact remains is that we already have been through the long term for most people that have lived in this area and been exposed to this waste. So it's bittersweet. I know that a lot of people are like, you know, you guys don't really sound so happy. One, we're exhausted. Two, we have a lot of work to do. And we know that. And we are excited. We are happy and we are ready to go. But there's a lot of work to be done.
1: And we also know that In a little bit over a week, the nation is going to be watching Atomic Homefront, an HBO documentary, on this fight and the fight at Coldwater Creek. And they are going to, through that film, get to meet members of our community and members of our little family now that are no longer with us. They're going to get to view this battle on a very personal level. And a lot of them are going to be people who are just waking up to the fact that and didn't know about this and possibly were exposed to this waste. And it feels like there's a bit of a rush, I think, for some of us to get ourselves, you know, get our stuff together emotionally so that we can jump right into handling that. You know, right
2: after the decision the two of you made a very brief video that you posted to report to people as to what had happened. And I have to say that you both looked somewhere several miles beyond knackered. What did you do? What were you able to do to give yourself some celebration or some recovery? Or have you had a chance to do either? <sighs> I don't think we've had the opportunity to do anything. This is Karen. Uh, whew. first of all when we left that room and I'm not afraid to say it we were crying and it wasn't just a sniffle cry <laughs> it was sobbing it was very emotional in that room and we left the room we did the video by the time we got back to my house the press was already here and it was a complete full day of press and then we went into an emergency meeting that we called for the community. And since then, it's been nose to the grind on the Facebook page. You know, like Dawn said, for the next week, we're going to have to man the page, pull ourselves together emotionally, get on the same page with how Dawn and I are going to move forward, handling 18,000 people on a Facebook page that is growing by leaps and bounds and who have questions and you have new people and it's hand holding again just like it was in the beginning to somewhat educate these people and then we've got the rush of the film coming on next Monday on February twelfth. So I don't know about you, Don, but I I haven't had time to do anything. I went to a Super Bowl party for a couple hours this afternoon and the conversation was about the landfill you don't escape it there's no you know there's just no time
1: that's true and I think for me I haven't had time to escape it but what I have been able to do at least in my mind is forgive myself past present and future for any of the ball of crazy emotions that I'm going to feel two seconds from now and that I (laughs) felt five seconds ago you know I mean and I think because we're It's like watching a mirror when I look at the page in social media, because I'm watching everybody else do that too. And, you know, obviously after talking to yourself too, and talking to Karen, I know that what I'm feeling is perfectly normal and that it could change a week from now. And it's just going to be what it's going to be. I think Karen pointed out the bigger thing is it's something that we are working on is that we do have to find a time to escape. But it's very hard because, you know, for Karen, she can't escape it. Every time she feels an ache or pain, there it is. She knows that this is the cause of it. But we literally can't go anywhere. My daughter, for instance, has a Girl Scout meeting tomorrow night after school. And I've already had two moms message me and say, are you going to be there? We've got some questions. You know, we can't wait to hear. And I thought, oh, my God, really? you know, and and I literally, I'm like, what do I do? I don't, you know, but that's, that's how it's been. And I anticipate with Atomic Homefront, that's how it's going to be. So for the listeners out there, yeah, suggestions, welcome. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that brings me to the question that I always ask. And that is, What can the listeners of Nuclear Hot Seat do to assist and support you? Yes, make comments during the 45-day public comment period. That goes without saying. But what, if anything else, can they do to help? I think it's important right now for people to join the Facebook page, the Just Moms STL Facebook page, and the West Lake Landfill Facebook page. If you don't live in this area... Offer these people some support. Kind words are great because we are a very sick and dying community here. And while I keep saying that our community is strong, we are sick. We need to be lifted up. So whenever people just post, you know, hey, we're rooting for you guys or whatever, it means the world to us. Secondly, next biggest thing is if you have HBO, tune in to the premiere on hbo february 12th at 7 p.m of course it will run throughout different programming on hbo at different times after that but watch the film and share it with other people share the facebook pages you can donate to just moms don and i foresee this issue to last for several more years and every little bit helps to help keep us sustain what's going on and, and continuing the Just Moms group and keeping people informed and educated. We have a donate button on our Facebook pages. We have a donate button on our um, website. So if anybody wanted to donate, that would be very much appreciative.
1: I think that what Karen said about joining the page, there are things that we know that we're going to need in the coming weeks and months, but we don't know exactly what they are yet in ways that you as a listener, may be able to think of that you can help us that we don't even know to ask for. And I think that's why it's really important to get on those pages as well so you can follow what's going on. And especially if you're a person in the activist community that's been through something similar, you are probably very wise to what we're going through and you may be able to help us in ways that we can't even think that we need help right now. Well
2: put, and I know that the listeners reach out when they have the opportunity to do so, to support, because we all need each other in this battle. Don Chapman, Karen Nickel, you are two of my heroes, or sheroes, if you prefer it that way, and I want to thank you not only for the work that you have done, but once again being my guest this week
0: on Nuclear Hot Seat.
2: Thank you, you, Libby. Always love to hear from you and always love to be on your show. Thank you.
0: Dawn Chapman and Karen Nickel, co-founders of Just Moms STL. They're the two who spearheaded the community-based drive to get the EPA to commit to cleaning up the World War II nuclear weapons waste at the Westlake Landfill in North St. Louis. We will have a link to the EPA comments page up on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 346. That's where you will be able to make your thoughts known and support them and the plan of the EPA to clean up at least 70% of the waste that is left on site. And a reminder that the profoundly moving documentary about this very struggle, Atomic Homefront, will premiere on HBO next Monday, February 12, and go into repeat presentations as of Tuesday, February 13. This is the documentary that helped force the hand of EPA head Scott Pruitt to finally take action on the Westlake landfill. It's a moving testament to the activists, the community members, some of whom are no longer with us, who demonstrate so clearly what it takes to force this kind of a decision and model that it can be done. Activist shout-out! This is going to be a little on the personal side. As you may have understood from the interview with Dawn and Karen, these women have given their all for over five years in the fight to clean up the Westlake landfill. I could tell during our talk, and maybe you could too, that these women are exhausted. They had experienced no break, no downtime to recover from the announcement from the EPA before they move on to what they're going to have to do from this point forward. They can't even get out of town. So how about those who can do so, stepping up to help these women out? Any massage therapists willing to donate a session or two? How about someone sponsoring them to a spa day? How about a spa opening their doors and just inviting them in for a day? You know, something non-nuclear, self-indulgent, relaxing, replenishing. Help them recharge their batteries before they plunge into the next round of fighting for health and safety in North St. Louis and all the land around it. If you can help, Message the moms through the Just Moms STL page, and if you can't provide a service, a donation of any size to them would be appreciated. Here's today's final thought. To be honest, I'm all funk out. Class dismissed. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, February 6, 2018. Materials for this week's show has been researched and compiled from nuclear-news.net and Sean McGee, dunrenard.wordpress.com and Hervé Courtois, stlouis.cbslocal.com, stltoday.com, wallstreetjournal.com, beyondnuclear, app.com, alternet.org, businessinsider.com, huffingtonpost.com, worldbeyondwar.org, truth-out.org, dailycause.com, DailyMail.co.uk, MPRNews.org, PlanetarianPerspectives.net, WashingtonSpectator.org, Japantimes.co.jp, TheSpec.com, DefenseOne.com, IanFairley.org, the Soul Dead Cubicle Drones grinding out press releases for World Nuclear News, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and a shout-out, To the Nuclear Hot Seat listeners and followers, literally around the world, 123 countries and counting. You are the ones who show your love for life on this planet by being the kick ass defenders of nuclear truth and supporters of atomic awareness that you are. Thank you so much for gathering at the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat blog page and podcast page. And if you haven't yet, be sure to stop by one or both. Click like. Post and share. If you know of a radio station in your area that would be interested in joining the growing list of broadcast affiliates carrying Nuclear Hot Seat, you can contact us with their info at info at nuclearhotseat.com. Theme music written by me, sung by Marilyn Weber, accompaniment by John Barnard, recorded at Winslow Court Studio in Hollywood. Want to get Nuclear Hot Seat delivered via email every week? You won't lose out on any episodes that way, and it is easy. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com, and on the homepage, look for the yellow box. That's where you can sign up for one, count them one, and only one weekly email, which contains the link to the latest show. Now, if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at NuclearHotSeat.com. We are copyright 2018 Libby Halevi and Heartistry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed as long as proper attribution is provided. And if you appreciate weekly verifiable news updates about nuclear issues from around the world, take a moment to send a donation of any size to NuclearHotseat.com. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that, as Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And we just saw that in action. Okay, campers, you have just had your nuclear wake-up call. So don't go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear